Hello, and welcome to Digital Catapult's Future Networks podcast. I'm Jeremy Silver, the CEO of Digital Catapult. On today's episode, I'm joined by Dritan Kaleshi, Head of Technology for 5G at Digital Catapult, and our guest, Ian Pollitt, Head of UK Sales for Industrial Ethernet from Siemens. Continue listening as we explore 5G and Industry 4.0. Ian has specialist knowledge in industrial data communications, and with the need for secure, resilient, and reliable communications becoming more critical, he's built a team to support Siemens products for use in robust solutions. As Industry 4.0 accelerates, his team supports wide-ranging projects including factory automation, automotive, railway communications, electrical substations, and offshore wind farms. Our other guest, Dritan Kaleshi, is Head of Technology for 5G at the Digital Catapult. He is an experienced technologist and researcher in communications networks, distributed system design, and data interoperability in IoT, which he's been doing for about 20 years, give or take a few years. Dritan joined Digital Catapult as a 5G fellow from the University of Bristol. His interests are on national 5G testbeds coordination, startup and scale-up innovation, and technical advances on new 5G network architectures. Dritton has published over 65 papers, holds three patents, and has edited two international standards on interoperability. So welcome to you both. So 5G technology, uh, we have been hearing a lot about recently, and it has the potential uh, amongst most recent analysts to uh, suggest that it may add up to 15.7 billion per year to the UK economy uh, within the next five years. And it's going to enable large-scale business transformation. Implementing and deploying 5G technology in the manufacturing, supply chain, and logistics sectors is not a simple feat. And as with all leading-edge technologies, it's essential for manufacturers to engage early so as not to be left behind. There's a real business case for getting skin in the game in 5G right now. So helping to shape the use cases for a technology which promises to be revolutionary for output and productivity across the UK's manufacturing industries. UK businesses can still lead the world in the development of new applications and services to run on advanced digital networks like 5G. And these kinds of networks offer manufacturers the chance to build smart factories and truly take advantage of technologies such as automation, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, and the Internet of Things. And to achieve economic impact, innovation in 5G depends on access to the infrastructure, expertise, and the removal of barriers for a lot of businesses. 56% of businesses have concerns around the cost of adopting 5G, and 20% are concerned around compatibility and interoperability of existing networks, often due to problems associated with legacy systems. And as 5G deployment gains momentum globally, promising ultra-low latency, faster speeds, lower power consumptions, and many more connections, companies are really looking to take the next steps into adopting the 5G technologies. So, Ian, let me turn to you first. Why is it that we should think about 5G differently from previous generations of mobile technology? Why is it more than just a, the next generation on? 
Okay, in particular for manufacturing, in addition to speed, in what you see at the moment with 5G is lots of talk about speed, how fantastic it is, you know, how quick you can download a movie or a film. Uh, but in manufacturing, that's not really important. The, the key thing for us is this low or zero latency. In particular for manufacturing, that's key. And the ability to connect you know, thousands or tens of thousands of devices to one particular base station. That, for me in particular, is key for in, in manufacturing and for industry. And, and, and Dritan, you know, people are talking about this as being the driver of Industry 4.0, and Ian was saying how important it could be in manufacturing. Do you have a sense of, of what these particular features can, could really do? Um, yes, Ian is right. The, the two primary features for 5G is this um, uh, very large number of massive machine-type communications, so the ability to connect many, many IoT devices and the ability to effectively provide very, very low latency. But there is a, another dimension on this, which is particularly the main reason for this being a driver for industrial IoT, which is uh, 5G is a managed network. It is implicitly secure at the network level. And because of that, it might be the tool in the platform that will allow system integrators and manufacturers to effectively deploy more effectively and more at large scale the necessary sensors and connect them with the backend system in the right way and make it a bit simpler and faster and easier to manage. And I think this is the particular enabling feature of 5G. So is it going to make a difference inside factories and on, on site, would you say, and are, are we going to see that Oh, absolutely. I think that um, it depends what you mean by, you know, a factory or site, because the, you know, the applications are so wide and varied, in particular for low latency, you know, in, in substations and electrical distribution and transmission is a key for an absolute need for zero latency. And in particular for, you know, for automation, you need to ensure that your network is zero latency or minimal latency or known latency. Absolutely key. You know, so it, it will be a driver. It's just how quickly it's adopted. And will the value come simply because we're going to be able to do things more efficiently, or will it actually allow us to do things we haven't been able to do before? Uh, I think efficiency is one thing. The other enabler will be for traceability. So you'll be able to have more tracking of devices. You'll be able to have the ability to have a more proactive network rather than reactive. In today's world, networks often seen as there's a fault. We need to go and look at that fault. Where's the fault? And I think as things change and morph, uh, you'll be able to have that proactive network. And Dritan, you, you talked about industrial IoT and, and, and suggesting that this is uh, that 5G is a real enabler for that. I mean, we've been talking about the Internet of Things and the industrial Internet of Things for at least 10 years now. Uh, so why is this a critical moment, would you say? If you analyse the... Um kind of the challenges and the barriers that uh, industrial IoT deployment and adoption faces. There are several of them. Part of them is part of the cultural change in the industry and the maturity of the products to go towards a kind of an easier acceptance and more reliable solutions for system integrators to, to go and sell to the manufacturers and to the other uh, industrial, uh, industrial players. But in all of this, IoT has grown organically. It's, there is a very large number of potential IoT platforms. There is a proliferation of IoT platforms. And there is a challenge around the interoperability, and that interoperability goes down to the interconnectivity level. That interoperability at uh, field networks, what it is the term that is used in industrial uh, networks and connectivity world, is a major problem. So you want to minimize the number of potential solutions that apply in that space because uh, your interoperability problems start with from the connectivity going to the sensors and then going to the platform. 
that is what 5G effectively promises. It promises um, the, the manufacturers and the industrial world in general the ability to have one single network that can connect that one sensor that transmits one bit per minute, as well as a, a high infrared uh, camera that measures temperature, and it's probably transmitting a very high quality, um, very large amount of traffic going through, as well as connecting all of the, the workforce and bringing that 5G as part of your IoT, IT infrastructure is probably the primary challenge that 5G can make it easier to address. So, so when you talk about solving the interoperability problem, I mean, so far we've, we've seen a lot of big platforms, including Siemens' own, developing, and a lot of them have not been compatible with one another. Is 5G really going to solve that that interoperability problem? Or is it perhaps, a, when you talk about interoperability, maybe you mean something slightly different from that? Interoperability, like security, applies to all of the kind of the software or the solution stack. So the, the one that you are referring rightfully, it is about the data interoperability problem, the backend, where the data is collected from the sensor and is processed into information in order to, to interact with your cyber system as it is, uh, cyber physical system. But in the same way, there is an interoperability issue on the connectivity infrastructure. So at the moment, in, in, in various um, factories and warehouses, you'll have a multitude of connectivity, physical, physical connectivity solutions. And many of them are supported by international standards or at least regional specifications, many of which has been promoted and supported and developed purposefully by the system integrators and manufacturers, including, including Siemens. When we talk about interoperability, it is, it is a lot easier to address the interoperability at data layer if you have an interoperable connectivity platform, i.e. you don't have to face 10 to 12 different protocols and connectivity solutions that exist on the factory floor, from industrial Ethernet to potentially um, industrial Wi-Fi to different levels of, for example, that you know, Profibus and Batibus that exist on the, on the factory floor. If all of them or a large number of them could be replaced by one single managed infrastructure that could be called 5G, but it will be an industrial 5G, a bespoke solution specific for, in, for industrial environments, then you at least have one less interoperability problem to address. So Ian, let me, let me ask you then, the, the, it suddenly in, in this world where there's a more seamless flow of data yeah. and there's a less, less interruptions, mm -hmm. less transmission through buses yeah. and so on, where are the real benefits to be found? What are the, what are the use cases that you're most excited about when you, when you think about this? I mean, there are so many. Uh, so, for example, if you look in food and beverage industry, so food and beverage uh, beverage is heavily legislative. So on that sort of side, they're looking for the ability to have full traceability. Even, for example, down to the, uh, to the farm gate, the ability that you can actually have a, the ability to actually track where this particular milk came from, which particular cow, what the yield of that particular cow was like. If you look in automotive, there's a, there's a real drive in automotive to become more efficient. And efficiency becomes to, you know, around the rework time. You don't want to spend time reworking a vehicle. If you have the ability to, to very quickly ascertain what the fault is via devices that are connected on 5G, that makes things a lot, a lot easier and faster. It's everywhere. I don't think you can actually be specific and say it's this particular industry which will take, uh, will be first. It's across the board. But are there things that you're doing today where, where you're predominantly using Ethernet, for example, and fixed, fixed connections, mm -hmm. where will you see a leap straight from there to 5G? And, and, and where do you see that happening most quickly? I would say that, I mean, Ethernet now is, is in most factories. Industrial Ethernet is in most factories. But touching what was said earlier, in 
numerous factory, and we talk about old legacy protocols, there are still numerous factories out there that have old legacy protocols like Modbus, like Profibus, these, these protocols that are, that are endemic. And, you know, you, you have to be able to address those, how you're going to upgrade those networks. And as soon as you go to 5G, it does certainly make things easier because of that easier to interoperate. It's difficult to say. I mean, Ethernet is definitely migrating. It's everywhere. We see that some people like to use wireless networks, like Wi-Fi networks in certain applications, because it's easier to implement. But there are challenges when you deploy Wi-Fi. Other people prefer fiber optic networks because they deem it to be future-proof. There's no hard and fast rule. Everyone has their own preference, uh, driven from particular policies and standards that are, that are built from that internal organisation. So, so we're, we're still living in this, this pretty complex legacy world where yeah. people have come from so many different points of view. Where would you, what would you say the challenges are, given that kind of environment? The challenges that you find is that once an organisation uh, has decided they want to go down the route of using IP or Ethernet as their method of connection, uh, that certainly helps. We see, for example, uh, organisations that don't have any policies, so they don't have a network policy, and that because causes challenges because if they don't have a policy in place, then you have different either system integrators or suppliers advising them or misadvising them. You have this thing called IT and OG convergence now. So who's going to manage and own the network? Is it the IT department who don't often understand the OT, the factory floor? Is it the factory floor people who often aren't trained in, in IT? There are skills shortages when people deploy a network. They sort of seem to think you plug a network together and it magically just connects, which isn't the case. So there are certainly challenges ahead, but if you look at where 5G will take you because of the easier to connect there's easier interoperability the ability that most people understand it it's more based on uh, you know simple connectivity methods then it should make connected factories easier to connect and when you think about the, those sorts of challenges that you talked about between different teams within a company what, what happens when you start then to drive that down into the supply chain I mean are you seeing ways of encouraging suppliers and participants lower in the supply chain into that process. You, you, I mean, you talked, I, I thought it was really interesting that, that, that the idea of being able to trace components or ingredients through a, through a supply chain, but, but how do you bring everyone else in? Okay, so uh, we often try and engage with people at the early stage, so about, you know, what do they want from this network? If they want to build an OT network for the future, uh, what do they want to uh, that network to do? Because it can be purely for you know automation, i.e. for robots or to automate a line. It can be for access control. It can be for CCTV. It can be for traceability. It can be for SCADA systems. So you want to have full engagement and collaboration with all the different teams. Um, you know, for the maintenance team. You know, what happens when, for example, there is an issue on the network? How are you going to recover from that? How are you going to diagnose a fault? What's the recovery mechanism? How long is it going to take to repair that? So the best success stories we've had with um, connected factories, whether that be a wirelessly connected network today or fibre or basically you know, a, a big flat network, is getting full engagement with all departments, getting collaboration, understanding what they want from the network. And as soon as you have that, you can then plan. And planning is key. Once you have a good plan, you, you will have a good success story. And, and do you think are there are particular challenges to, to getting multiple companies involved in a, in a supply chain in that kind of way as well? Or is it, is it just... A process of evolution? Uh, I would say it's a mixture of both. There's certainly evolution in relation to people understanding 
what 5G will bring, but it's an also a matter of everyone understanding what the supplier or the, or the organisation wants. You know, I touched on it beforehand, it's policies. It's um, many organisations don't have IT policies, let alone OT policies. And if they have a policy in place that says we expect the supplier to be 5G ready by this particular date or be able to come to come to us and talk about what they're doing about 5G, at least they know they're engaging with those organisations that are thinking of the future and not stuck in the past, you know, about, well, we just we don't really care how the devices connect. We just assume that we're going to get one factory A and factory B and imagine they're going to connect together. And, and is, the, is the business case clear now, would you say, or are people still struggling to make that business case internally to make that new investment into, into these new areas? Oh, I would say that's a very good question. It depends on where they see the future for what they want networks to do in the factory floor. And it's certainly not clear yet. Um, I mean, we engage with organisations that are leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else. They have a clear policy. If you go into their factory, it's a really smart-looking panel. It looks fantastic. They have clear policies in place. They have clear training in place. If a fault occurs, they know how to remedy that fault. They have SLAs against those organisations. And then you go into the other side, and it's almost like a wet piece of string, that they no one really knows how the network's functioning. It's suitable. It does the job. But if a failure occurred, the worrying thing is they wouldn't really know what to do and how to recover from that fault. Yeah, there's, there's many challenges out there. But again, it comes back to those is that we're certainly we're finding now, particularly over the last two years to 18 months, this sudden more and more organisations are going, I understand that my network in my factory isn't fit for purpose. I have to do something about it. What should I do? And we're certainly finding an uptake now and organisations going, can you help us, please? So, Drishan, let me ask you, you you've taken a great deal of interest in, in establishing test beds and getting companies to, to use test beds. So if an industrial company was looking to to trial 5G and wanted to get started, is what advice would you give them? 5G, for, for, for all of the um, positives about it, it is still uh, remains uh, quite a complex system. It is a complex system because it is a telecommunications-grade, it provides a telecommunications-grade service. So it's uh, the, the, the people in the telecoms world tend to think about the 5.9, so the reliability of the service is by far very, 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 very high. So 99.999% of the time uptime uh, requirement. Because of that complexity and because of the, the fact that 5G is changing from the previous um, uh, generations of mobile technology, there is an absolute necessity for people to, to effectively engage and understand why the network, which typically, as Ian said before, is looked at something that exists and does the job. Now it is changing and it's becoming very, very flexible. It's becoming another tool in your arsenal on doing things better. So in order to effectively learn around how to use this tool, you need to engage with that, uh, with that technology as early as possible in a meaningful and a purposeful way, but also in a safe way. And also in a way that you are supported by the best experts possible. So that is what typically testbeds and trials will uh, effectively provide to uh, to people, including um, manufacturing organisations or industrial industrial players, a place where they can not only learn from powerpoints and talking and speaking to experts or undertaking uh, feasibility studies, but effectively touching and seeing what features of the technology will be relevant specifically for them. 
we also shouldn't forget that 5G is, is a global technology that will provide connectivity to millions and billions of, of people worldwide, as well as providing connectivity into a factory. The system configuration for these two solutions will be definitely different. And again, the end users of that being these enterprise and industrial players will need to, to understand, and this is what they need to do. And by all, um, by all means, they need to definitely come and talk to Digital Catapult for this. So, so yes, and I mean, obviously, we're now at a place where the network is moving from being an old piece of furniture that you took for granted to being a key actor in your innovation and your development strategy. So are there opportunities around for people to try things out and to experiment? And, and you know, where would they go if they, before they actually want to implement things? We've got the first sort of one of the first uh, test beds in Nuremberg that Siemens is working on. Um, that's the first sort of test bed of a private 5G network. Um, and in the UK, we're looking at a couple of Siemens factories where we can where we can do this early adoption of a, of a particular of a private 5G network. As touching beforehand, the good thing about a private uh, 5G network, it enables you to be very secure because the data is held within that private network. It then offers low latency because again, that's what you want from a private 5G network. And again, it's, it's trying to understand what the future benefits are of that's going to be. So if you're doing a test bed, you can learn from your mistakes. Um, you know, and all of our networks, as I touched on beforehand, it's that early adoption of what you want this network to do. If there's lots of forward, you know, planning about what you want the network to do, what you want to achieve, rather than just this one single entity, which was in the early days of making devices on the factory floor communicate with each other. If you think about a network what, as like an, a big agnostic pipe to pass data, it doesn't really matter what data it is. It can be, you know, CCTV, so that you can monitor a particular piece of production equipment at a particular time because it, it fails at that particular time. It can be so wide and varied. I mean, that's a wonderful thing about these networks is that you can do so much more with them than just make devices to talk. And you mentioned that private networks are mm -hmm. becoming an important factor and are characteristics of 5G. Are you, you, are you working in your Nuremberg plant with a mobile operator or is are you actually running the 5G network entirely independently of any mobile it's a, operator? It's a, it's a private 5G network just to get the early adoption first but of course the benefits of, of 5G is that you can have that mixture of a public network or you know and, and because of this IT and OG convergence you will want to move data from your private network to a, a public network so for example a customer can actually see where the item that they have purchased, whereabouts that is in the production facility. And it makes this easier for this OT and IG convergence, the ability to do that. So, so Dritan, I mean, there, there are quite a few 5G networks popping up around the UK. You pioneered one in Brighton that is probably one of the first to really be available to industry. Can you tell us a bit more about that? As um, Ian said until now, 5G is... Um, is not just a transformative technology in itself, but it is the, the primary impact probably will be more in in terms of enabling digital innovation to effect, to take place. And in order to do that, we, we have developed this uh, 5G um, testbed in Brighton, which Digital Catapult um, owns, desi has designed and, and, and currently operates. And it is one of these classical cases where we have built a generic purpose testbed, which for all intents and purposes operates as a private network, and it can provide features that will be relevant to both creative industry or manufacturers or someone that wants to deploy IoT at a certain scale in order to come in and test 
their products. But the key thing around the testbed is also what it enables as an eco innovation ecosystem around it in something that we call a technically underpinned innovation. And the idea is that you use the testbed as an anchor where people can not only come and test their products, but also they engage in a process of learning of what we call the technical upskilling in digital, um, in digital skills specific in terms of the fundamental technologies, fundamental emerging technologies like, like 5G, where they will be able to align their product roadmaps with the technology roadmaps in areas that probably they don't have the necessary expertise or where in the case of startups and scale-ups, they probably still cannot afford to effectively acquire that particular expertise. So, so if a company is, is wanting to pursue, as you, as you put it, this, this technically underpinned innovation, and they, and they want to tr experiment with 5G, uh, there are acceleration programs, there are test environments that they can play on. I mean, how important is it, do you think, that, that companies make use of those kinds of facilities on their, as, as they sort of embark on this journey? It is a quite important um, factor. As I said, 5G technology is complex, but it's also expensive. And it is always a, a kind of a barrier before you engage with that, because it is not just the, expensiveness, uh, the expense of buying the equipment, but also operating and maintaining it purposefully for, for the reasons that you want to use it in a trial environment. So it is crucial to have these particular test beds, and this is one of the reasons why the UK government um, designed and has, has, has been implemented for the past three years a very specific and the largest intervention in the telecoms um, R&D investment in the telecom space in the last 30 years in the UK, which is the 5G test beds and trials by the Department of Culture, Media and Sport. And the idea there is not necessarily to look at the technology from a development uh, technology development purposes, but what the technology can do in individual uh, sectors, including in industrial and creative industrial manufacturing and creative industries uh, as such. So, engaging with these particular testbeds is crucial, and uh, by all means, you need to people need to go and talk to uh, organisations that effectively maintain and operate this, including Digital Catapult. Excellent. So uh, this is an extraordinary journey that we're just at the beginning of in lots of ways. Clearly, there, there's, it can develop in, in different directions and there are both in, inside the factory but also across supply chains with existing partners but potentially entirely independently or with entirely new partners. I mean, when you look at that, Ian, from, from your perspective, are you, do you see yourselves in the future being dependent upon network operators to support your activity in 5G? Or are you thinking more that actually this is now a, a, a standalone technology that allows you to do what you want to do in the way you want to do it without necessarily bringing those traditional providers in? Or in fact, are you looking for, for different kinds of support or different providers? Um, I think it'll be a mixture of both. I think in some facilities and some applications you need you you can build your own private network but in certain other applications maybe larger scale uh, you're going to have to you're going to have to work with a with an, an airtime provider it's such early days it's that ability to test and trial it i mean when i came into this lab here today and i look around now i mean as i mentioned to you it's fantastic and i can see lots of different antennas and and things like that. And we I, and are that, surrounded by lots and lots of examples yeah, yeah, yeah. of networked, <laughs> Internet of Things devices. And this is the classic thing that you, you really have to do, is you have to look around and decide, what do you want to try and get from this particular network? And how am I going to do it? And, you know, with 5G, 5G is based on RF. Um, you know, we deploy a lot of wireless systems, you know, based on Wi-Fi. 
And, you know, we often we, we do surveys and we find the challenges about RF and customers not understanding that RF has physical characteristics that are laid down in physical characteristic law that we can't change. So, that, so in addition to um, this adoption of 5G, there has to be like a learning exercise about how you're going to deploy 5G. You know, how much time, not planning about what the network will actually do, but how you actually deploy the infrastructure to make sure it's resilient, it's reliable, it's redundant, it's secure. How does it recover from a fault? For me, in industry where, for example, if you're running a bottling line or a canning line and a piece of network infrastructure goes down, in the IT world, they might have an SLA, like a service level agreement of four hours to, to fix a printer. Well, it, well, in a bottling line, if a, if a piece of network equipment goes down for you know four or five seconds, there's people going to be on the phone going, "What's wrong? Where is it at fault? And when are you going to fix it?" So there has to be a huge amount of understanding about you know how we're going to fix these issues if they do occur. And, and as we sort of think about our journey to Industry 4.0 and Industry 5.0 and beyond, <laughs> from a Siemens point of view, what, do, what does that future start to look like? It covers so many different areas. I mean, for, for, for me, in, the, in where I sit, I look at the, the adoption networks going to areas where you wouldn't even consider it beforehand, like, for example, farming. You know, um, I've got some friends who live in the northwest on farms that, uh, that can't even get, they get half a meg broadband uh, to their farm, and uh, they're trying to run a business. And you, you talk to them about what 5G can do for them, about, you know, cattle traceability of cattle about how much milk if they're on heat through to yield from silage you know there's areas that you would three or four years ago never even contemplate um through to for example the work we're doing in offshore wind it's really exciting because there are you know networks always been deemed as not really you know like running a shoestring like wet piece of string this an energy that we used to have in factories and today I think now there's a realization that you know if you get it right there is so much more you can do with these networks to enable full connectivity it doesn't matter which whereabouts they are like I said from farming all the way through to an offshore wind farm through to a substation as the technology becomes more available I think people are realizing let's let's give that a go how, how can we do this so Trisha, as, as Ian puts it from a wet piece of string to a, a player in the centre of the stage, what's your sense of what's the future of 5G look like? Uh, we, we are at the very, very beginning, so it's uh, amazingly exciting. And I personally count myself fortunate to have been at the beginning of my career when the previous, genera- uh, the previous revolution around telecoms happened, be- from old telecoms to an internet-based communication. And now, again, at a maturity point uh, for the um, mobile um, technology, going to the fifth generation, so 40 years of, of, uh, of evolution, and in and, and the future, I, I agree with Ian, we are right at the very beginning of that. We have a very, very exciting window of opportunity in the next two to four years to effectively get going and involved with the uh, meaningful and purposeful adoption of, of, of 5G, absolutely where it makes sense and absolutely where it gives and delivers value to the end customer, which is the, the operators of the facilities, be that a warehouse or be that a factory line. And then that journey will continue in in. in more amazing things that will come in the future for the next 15 years, which is the expected life cycle of the 5G and beyond, as you said, Jeremy. So when we think about 
rapidly reconfigurable plant uh, environments, or we think about the addition of artificial intelligence into this, or we bring other technologies like virtual reality or augmented reality in, the future isn't just about 5G, it's about what it enables, isn't we, it? We, Where else does it go? We, we are seeing already very, very early signs, very early signs of, of the kind of completely transformation uh, of, of the way that people will, will work in and with the machinery in the warehouses, in the, the factory. So, for example, we already are seeing how people are using um, augmented reality for overlays in order to upskill people more quickly or to increase the quality assurance. We have seen, as Ian mentioned earlier, a drop in the, uh, the rework time because of a very, very tight closed-loop control of the machinery. We have seen examples of, of a three-time production increase, productivity increase, by making machines work that much faster, or as we have seen in Worcestershire 5G, one of the, the, the industrial 5G projects in the UK, uh, where we have seen a, a 1 or 1.2% increase in productivity by sheer fact of using the AI and data analytics in order to do a predictive um, factory line maintenance rather than a, a reactive, a proactive one, which is the current. Now, if you take this and you effectively draw a line for the future and, and trying to be futuristic here, which is not my trait, as you know, uh, Jeremy, I think that the future will look amazing because we will see more humans and machines working together in areas where they absolutely necessarily need, but probably humans working less and less in those areas and using their skills and their imagination and their creativity in um, in higher value jobs and higher value outputs. And, and, and in that way, improving the life of everyone. So hugely exciting and re really interesting to see the way that the 5G is enabling all these different technologies to come together and, and to add more to the experience. So Ian, let me ask you our, our, the final $100 million question that I, I'm now going to ask everyone on this podcast, which is, if money was, was no object to you, mm. what future networks, technologies, examples or use cases would you develop first? It's a really good question. And, uh, you know, I touched on that beforehand about, I, I think for me, it would be the ability for a network, however it was possible, to self-learn so that it was true, like wet piece of string that we see today that you can magically connect it together. And it just delivered by magic exactly what the customer wanted without any huge amount of configuring. I think that's very unlikely, but that's, you know, that's my, my view. And I guess really for, to have networks, that, networks as a service, you know, the way the which it will go is that, um, you know, if a customer wishes to deploy 5G, that they will just buy a service with this particular SLA against that, you know, um, that's quite some way off, but I would imagine that would be the, that would be the best thing. So self-learning, self-healing. Self yeah. Uh, endlessly rerouting. Yeah, you just plug together the uh, the wet piece <laughs> of string that turns itself into an autodidact. Absolutely, yeah, fantastic. Thanks for joining us this week. That's all for today's episode of Future Networks. Thanks for listening, and thank you to Ian Pullett from Siemens for joining me today, along with Dritan Kaleshi from Digital Catapult for sharing your thoughts and perspectives on 5G and Industry 4.0. Check out the other episodes in this series and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify. If you'd like to learn more about Digital Catapult and the work we do in the IoT and 5G space, visit our website at digicatapult.org.uk. Thank you. Thank you.